0: where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous US-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your
1: podcasts. I'm Andrew Giancola, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast.
0: I remember our Saturday morning ritual during childhood as if it was yesterday. It actually often started Friday night. My mom and I would cut coupons out of the newspaper and then plot our route for the next day. Usually we started at the butcher, which was out of the way, but they had the least expensive meat and poultry. Then we bounced from one grocery store to another, one because it had the least costly fruit, another because we had the best coupons. Undoubtedly, if Costco or Sam's Club existed at the time, we would have ended there. We staggered into the house most Saturdays by late afternoon with the gas tank almost empty, our arms full of groceries, and a great hankering for taking a nap on the couch in front of the TV. This was our Saturday ritual. Somehow we thought the trade-off of consuming a whole weekend day was worth a few dollars unspent. Were we wrong? Andrew Jinkola created MasterMoney.co for one reason to teach as many people as possible how to build wealth. He's also the creator and host of the incredibly popular the personal finance podcast. Our topic today is one he recently covered on his show Bad Money Hacks. Are we wasting our time and energy? Andrew Giancola, welcome to Earn and Invest. Let's talk lattes. We've talked so much about lattes. I think we've overdone it, but at the beginning of this episode You talk about how maybe we get the latte factor a little wrong. One thing is spending the money on them, but it kind of misses the point. Why are lattes instructive?
1: So I think lattes are really instructive for a number of different reasons. But one of the biggest things is that you need to make sure that you are not just focusing all of your time and energy on these small little money problems. And sure, lattes over time, if you buy a latte every single day, for example, they can add up. And if you invest those dollars, they can grow to X amount of dollars over time. But really focusing your time on the bigger, more important money problems is what's going to actually get you ahead. And so this is one thing where we've talked about the latte factor a number of different times. And you can kind of think through, hey, If I start to save $3 a day, yes, I'm going to be able to kind of get to that point in time where I'm able to, you know, save X amount of dollars. But if you're focusing on the really, really important things, housing, food, transportation, those are really what are going to actually move the needle for you when it comes to building wealth.
0: Yeah, I love this, how people will say $3 a day is whatever, $900 a year, and then start showing how with a compound calculator, that's going to be millions of dollars in the future. But like you said, they discount the fact that if you actually put your energy and time into thinking about those bigger expenses, the savings will be even greater.
1: Exactly. And we call these kind of the million dollar money decisions. So it's housing, food, transportation, your asset allocation is another big one. How much you're paying in interest on your mortgage. There's a bunch of these different factors because if you look at that opportunity cost of some of these major factors, that's really going to move the needle. And it is a multi million dollar decision based on how much you're spending on those factors. So it's really, really important to kind of laser focus on specific things, especially early on in your financial journey, because you got to figure out, hey, which ones are actually going to move the needle for me in massive amounts over time.
0: In a moment, we're going to get to what we call the 11 bad money hacks. But before we do, I want to get a little into your history. Tell me about how you got interested in personal
1: finance. Was this something you guys talked about money a lot as a child? So we did. My parents were really, really good savers. They were not the best investors overall, but they were amazing savers. So I learned how to save money very early. And then as I became a teenager and as I grew into, you know, becoming a young adult, I was really, really interested in personal finance. I was actually the kid in computer class who would read personal finance blogs when I was in high school. So it was one of those things where I was always interested in personal finance and that interest kind of grew to helping people over time. and, And that's what really, really got me started.
0: Helping other people is one thing, but first you had to help yourself. Am I correct in saying you became a millionaire, what, in your early 30s?
1: I did. I was 32 years old when I finally became a millionaire. And so that was where, you know, the impetus of all this started where I said, "Hey, this stuff is actually working." And so I wanted to teach more people exactly how to do this. And that's actually when the podcast started as well.
0: You say finally, but for thirty two for most people, thirty two is pretty young. How did you get there so quick?
1: So the big part of this was early on, I started my career living paycheck to paycheck. Actually, I was making $30,000 a year when I started, and I realized very, very quickly that I had myself an income problem. It wasn't that I could actually cut back more. I actually had a real income problem, and I had to figure out how to increase that income. So the first place I focused on was my day job, learning how to get raises, looking at the people above me and what skills that they have and developing those skills in order to increase my income there. Then, outside of that, I would also start things like side hustles. So one of them that I had was a Christmas tree stand, one of those side-of-the-road Christmas tree stands where we would actually sell Christmas trees and start these small businesses. I would sell things on Amazon. I would sell things on eBay. And so that's how I really started to increase my income early on. Then eventually, we started a, a real estate company and had investments there. And had a portfolio of houses. It wasn't a massive portfolio, but we did a few dozen transactions over that time frame and then eventually sold off those, those uh properties as well. And then came to the point in time where we started to kind of earn our income, save and invest over time, and then be able to actually hit that millionaire status. So the real biggest thing was taking the extra income that I had and putting it in, you know, simple index funds over that time frame, but really it was increasing that income. That's what actually got me there. And I think most people, when they get to that millionaire status early on, they Either have a high income, they have some sort of financial windfall that came into play, and/or they had just some some big event that happened in their lives. People who say that they you know are saving you know ten percent of their income, making fifty thousand dollars a year, that does not happen. And I think you really have to have one of those big pieces in order to actually become a millionaire when you are in your early thirties.
0: It's an important point, which we're not going to focus on for this show. But the truth of the matter is, you can only save so much, right? So this idea of saving your way to wealth is difficult. You definitely have to increase the income stream too. But for many of us, we've been working on our income streams. We're getting them to where they need to be. But savings can also increase our outcomes. It can increase our net worth. So let's talk about the difference between good and bad money hacks. And specifically in the episode you did, you talked about 11 bad money hacks. So I want to run through these. Number one, you say, is to buy things on sale just because they're on sale. My wife and I go through this all the time. She loves to go to places like Marshall's, et cetera. And whenever you're looking through the racks, you'll find clothes. And they always conspicuously have a tag that says it's $150, but then the Marshall's price is like $30. So first and foremost, when you find something on sale, 50% on sale, 25% off. Is it possible that they just hiked up the price before they put it on sale?
1: That is very much possible. And you and I are recording this like right before Black Friday, which means you know this is kind of top of mind for me as well. And it was kind of one of the biggest things that we were kind of talking through, even on Amazon Prime Day and all those different uh, sales that come up, is a lot of times they increase that price in order to make it look like it's on sale. Amazon Prime is notorious for this, where you'll look at something the day before and it'll say it's $69, and then it will say 10% off. And all of a sudden, this, this new price came up that actually increased that amount 10%. And it's really sitting there where it's the same exact price that it was the day before, but they just increased the price that day in order to make it look like it's on sale. And this is one thing I want people to understand. And I want you to kind of think about this as you think through these sales is this is 100% off if you don't buy an item on sale. And it is one of those things where as you kind of go through this, just make sure you're understanding the psychology that a lot of these stores are utilizing because that is what they are good at is the psychology side of this pricing structure. And that's why these companies are so big. So you got to make sure that when you're looking at things on sale, it is something that you actually value. And making sure that you understand what you value in your life is the most important thing when it comes to making buying decisions.
0: Yeah, it's an important point, right? Because not only are you by chance not actually getting as good of a deal as you thought, but you might be buying something that you
1: normally wouldn't have bought because of that kind of dopamine hit of getting it on sale, right? Exactly. And that's the psychology behind it. If you can kind of understand that that's what's happening in your brain, and it happens to all of us, I still do it to this day. I'll probably do it in a couple of weeks. It's just one of those things that happens to all of us. But if you're conscious about it and really, really thinking about this, you're going to make much less mistakes when it comes to buying things on sale.
0: So, as you can tell, your number two bad money hack really hits home from my introduction. So, in my introduction, we talk about these trips. I would go on with my mom. This idea that you should go from store to store only buying what's most on sale or best for that store. And for instance, you should go to multiple grocery stores on a Saturday. I mean, that sounds like it makes sense, right? Don't you want to get the cheapest and best product, but that's not always at the same store, but you say that that's not necessarily cost efficient always.
1: It's not. And and if you love doing this stuff, like my grandfather does this, he absolutely loves to go to different stores and find the best prices, but he has a lot more time than most people. So if you love doing this stuff, more power to you. But for most people, this is a waste of time. And just like you, when you were kind of going from store to store growing up, I was the same way. My mom would do this. She would find like the best coupons and go to the stores that have the cheapest prices. But there is a, a huge factor here that comes into play where you are spending so much time and energy and gas and you're losing an entire day just by doing this, where it is so much easier just to kind of buy your items at the store that you go to and making sure, you know, that you're finding the best prices in that store. But outside of that, if you're jumping around store to store to store, it truly can be a waste of time, especially if you're in a wealth building or wealth accumulation phase. It's much better to spend your time, spend your energy on the things that you value every single day. And that's what a lot of this really comes back to is what do you actually value? Your, what do you actually value with your time and your energy? Because saving $10 and going to three different stores is not a trade-off I am ever willing to make.
0: I feel like we're gonna come to this point over and over again, this idea we tend to discount the value of our own time. Why do you think we do that?
1: That's a great question. And I think for a lot of people, they really just don't think through, you know, how many hours this is actually taking. And one one exercise that I absolutely love doing, for example, is if it's if it's going to save you four, four dollars, for example, and you go from store to store to store, how many hours would you have actually have to work to earn $4? Because that's the kind of the trade-off that you gotta have to think through here. Because if it's taking you more time to save $4, it just makes absolutely no sense in your life. And so if we're devaluing our time, we really need to actually figure out a way, hey, how can I earn more money with this time if I'm trying to build wealth? And or how can I spend more time with my family? Or how can I spend more time with my kids? Because that's what you're taking away from just by jumping from store to store to store. And it sounds like something that, that that is simple, but really consciously having this in your mind is really, really important.
0: And I would give you the caveat again, if you love doing this, then it's a good use of your time, right? And some people do love... Bargain hunting, they love going to the different restaurants, and that's a good use of their Saturday. What we're really talking about is the people who do it just to do it and don't necessarily enjoy the process. Thinking about the store hopping also makes me think about gas. We tend to also discount the cost of gas that we use to do all these things or to travel 50 miles to pick up that piece of furniture. But there's also an issue with gas when it comes to finding the cheapest gas price. I haven't done this lately, but I I feel like I remember a time where I would go out of my way to find the cheapest gas station. Is that something people still do?
1: People still do that. I've talked to people recently who still do that, and it blows my mind. So I did this very early on in my financial, you know, career when I first got my career, and I was trying to save money and I was trying to cut back. I would look for the cheapest gas prices around town. I would travel across town just to save a few bucks. And I realized very quickly that this was exhausting for me. It was exhausting to find the cheapest prices and go out and drive across town. But in addition, you're actually burning more gas just by going across. And you know, if there's a gas station across the street and it's significantly cheaper, then that's fine. But at the same time, it really, for me, is not even worth the time to drive across the street for $3. I haven't looked at gas prices in so long. When I just pull into a gas station, I'm just pulling in because you know saving the $3, dollars just is not worth my time. And a lot of times now, to save money on gas, you actually have to be a member at that gas station. They want you to actually have that membership card. And so truthfully, then you're giving out your email to a bunch of different companies and all this different thing. So there's a lot of different ways where this really becomes cumbersome just to save a few bucks every time.
0: I feel like unless you live on a state line, right, because where we really see the differences in gas prices is between different regions. So there's only going to be so much difference between, you know, the gas station that's a half a block from your house and the gas station that's five miles from your house is not going to be nearly as, as major as it might be if you cross
1: a state line to get your gas. And here's a real controversial one because every time I say this, people actually get mad at me. Is if you are waiting in line for 20 minutes at Costco or at Sam's Club or any of those clubs, and usually it's like a five, 10% differential, it is truthfully not worth your time. Because think about this again. Now you're waiting 20 minutes and you're making, you know, $5 in those 20 minutes. That means you're paying yourself $15 an hour. Unless you make less than $15 an hour, it is just not worth your time to sit in that line to save that money.
0: You know, I hear that argument, but I imagine there's the other side, which is yes, but I can't work 24 hours a day. So there's sometimes like sitting and waiting in the line at Costco is like a lazy, you know, ask, right? I can do it. I can make maybe 15 bucks for waiting that hour, but I don't have to do anything. I can look at my phone. I can keep myself otherwise engaged. So I kind of buy that, but don't 100%. But that does bring us. To the number four bad money hack, which is one of my favorites, which is buying in bulk. I feel like I grew up in this time where the idea of bulk exploded, like Sam's Club, Costco. I, I went to I went to college at University of Michigan and they were Myers. I had never heard of Myers before. And then all of a sudden you went to this place and you could buy anything and everything in bulk. Come on, you gotta save money if you're buying in bulk. You're telling me that this is not helping my my finances out?
1: You absolutely can save money when buying it in bulk, but it's kind of buying the right thing is the really, really important piece. So there are things like paper products, for example, like toilet paper or paper towels. All of those things are fantastic to buy in bulk because eventually you're gonna utilize those things. But if there's perishable items out there, that you're buying in bulk and you find yourself throwing food away all the time or you're just you know, buying these things in bulk and not utilizing it, that's where the problem comes into play because the beautiful thing about buying in bulk is you go to one store, you can spend less time doing this or so you're actually saving time, but also you got to make sure that you're buying the right stuff. And there is a massive amount of Americans out there who actually throw away a huge portion of their food, specifically when they buy in bulk. And so making sure that you are buying things that you actually are gonna use is one of the most important things. I'm someone who loves Sam's Club or Costco or any of those as much as the next person, but just making sure that it is stuff that you are actually gonna use in your day-to-day that you actually need also is the the, the two caveats there.
0: Yeah, and that's non-perishable, right? The minute you buy perishable stuff, you really put yourself at risk because then who knows if you're gonna truly use it.
1: Exactly. And that is where uh, most people are buying perishable stuff in bulk. And that's where they're throwing the stuff away. So you're not
0: totally against bulk just in using it for everything. At the beginning, we talked about the latte factor. And part of the issue with the latte factor is it it doesn't address the big three, right? So we're talking about housing, transportation, and food. Number five does focus on one of the, the big three, it's cars. This is a mistake I wasn't as familiar with. So it was a surprise to me, but it makes sense that it's an issue for people a lot of people put off oil changes or maintenance of their car now we think about the car you know transportation is one of the big expenses why do people get in trouble by doing this
1: because this is this can actually you know cost you more money down the line so when i was doing this episode i actually talked to a few mechanics that we have locally and ironically one of my cars was in the shop at the time and i was talking through hey what are the reasons that people's vehicles actually cost more money down the line in repairs. And then he said the number one thing is they were not getting their regular interval oil changes. And this is partially because most people try to extend this time out and they try to save money. Now, some people are just lazy and they don't wanna go in and take their car in. But for a lot of people, he asked them why. And a number of the reasons were because they were trying to save money and extend this out. And this is truthfully a mistake. It is one of those things where, you know, if you get your regular oil change, oil changes really don't cost that much for how much they're gonna actually save you in money in the long run then you can make sure that you you actually have your car in, you know, the things that you can control with your car, you actually have that in place and you can actually make sure that you are actually maintaining that car over that timeframe. So this is one really, really big one where I think more people do this than, than they should. And so making sure you get those regular oil interval changes is going to be really, really important. Now, a lot of cars are more resilient than they used to be, but at the same time, this is really, really important in order to preserve the life of your car long-term. Cause I'm the type of person who wants to drive their car for 15, 20 years. My goal is my car right now, which I've, had for five years. I want to give it to my five-year-old when he turns 16. So making sure that you do this and driving him longer is really important to me.
0: Let's take a tangent for a minute on something you didn't talk about, but I wanted to ask you about, because I was thinking about it as I was listening to your episode. We're talking about maintaining your stuff. In this case, you're talking about your car, but every time we buy an electronic nowadays, it seems like someone is pushing an extended warranty are those a good idea or not? Is that a good savings hack because they're likely to break down or are we just throwing money into the wind?
1: A lot of times we're throwing money into the wind because a lot of times those extended warranties are timed at points in time where you know typically you are not going to have to replace the item. Then they expire. And then after that, then you have those warranties in place. But also there's a lot of credit cards out there. If you utilize credit cards for your spending, there's a lot of cards out there that have those extended warranties co- with them as well. So you can actually get some of those for free, which is actually an extra little life hack there.
0: So the next one, the number six bad money hack also goes back to my introduction. I have to tell you, I was one of those little kids. I love to collect coupons. I would go and scour the newspapers. And this was again, when the newspaper was delivered to the house, this was before the electronic era. And I would scour the newspapers and save them all, et cetera. I had a certain joy of couponing because I was a little kid, but clearly most people do it because they think they're saving money and not because it, not for the joy of it. Extreme couponing is not a good idea. I'm thinking of, you know, seeing those on the news when they talk about someone who like left the grocery store with a full bag of groceries and and the grocery store actually had to pay them money back, like had to give them money upon leaving. Right. You're You're telling me that this is not a life hack?
1: So one big thing with extreme couponing, this is where uh, my problem with couponing comes into play, is if you've heard kind of the theme of this episode, it's spending too much of your time on this stuff. And couponing is one where you really have to spend a lot of time, especially to find the best deals. Now, I am all for finding a coupon code. If you already have an item in your cart that you truly value and sticking that in there, it takes you two or three minutes and you're going to save yourself, you know, a few bucks, if not 10, $20. I do that. All the time, especially when I'm shopping online. But if you're looking at the grocery store, it takes so much time and so much planning to have these coupons in place that you'll see people with spreadsheets, they'll have different folders divided up for these coupons, and they're going through there before they go to the store and they say, Hey, I'm gonna go to uh Publix for this one, I'm gonna go to Kroger for this one, and I'm gonna go, you know, all over the place. So, really, people jumping from store to store and couponing really go hand in hand for most people. Now, if you love couponing, some people love couponing, they're really interested in getting that deal. Again, more power to you but if you're the person who really doesn't love this stuff and you're you're saving only a small amount of money it really is not worth your time because some people take 40 hours per week couponing which i think is absolutely one of the the craziest things unless you have the time available for you
0: and those people always end up eating spam they don't want spam but they had a coupon for it and so they end up eating it when they don't even like it so or
1: exactly or they'll have 47 different dawn dish soaps you know in their in their pantry
0: so we're we're you know, laughing a little bit about this idea of extreme couponing, but hack number seven is a good one. I think it's a really important one. People make the mistake of buying cheap. They think because they got something for less money. Fast fashion is a big one of these. It's one of your other rules, but I think we have to talk about it now. Sure. Buying low quality goods because they're less costly. This is not a good idea. You talk a lot about quality. Why are we making this mistake? Why is buying something that's cheap a bad idea?
1: buying something that's cheap is a bad idea in a lot of situations, specifically like we'll use clothes for an example. So a lot of times people will buy fast fashion or they'll buy clothes and they'll go out of style. And what happens is you're ended up spending so much more money over that time frame because you're buying the newest, greatest and latest thing. Instead, what I like to talk about is buying quality stuff. So buying high quality stuff that's going to last for a very long period of time. So clothes are a great example. You can buy a cheap suit as a, as a guy and you can go out and you can have this cheap suit. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's going to start to fray. It's going to start to have holes in it, or you can buy a really, really high quality suit and you can have that for your entire life. A lot of times these don't go out of style. So if you pick specific things that do not go out of style, it's really, really important. The same thing goes for your shoes, buying higher quality shoes that you can repair and or have those, you know, where you can polish them. You can repair the soles. There's a lot of different things that you can do that is going to last your entire life. And I've seen people have their shoes for 30 plus years when they do something like that. But this can go for anything out there in life. There's a a group on Reddit called Buy It For Life or Biffle, B-I-F-L. And they have all these different products that you can go through and think through what you should be buying for life. And these are things where, you know, you could buy a toaster and you could buy the cheap toaster at Walmart that's 15 bucks and you replace it every couple of years. Or you can just buy one really high quality one that's gonna last you for 50 years. You can go to your your grandmother's house if you think back and they had all these different products that just lasted a really, really long time time. And that can be the same thing for you. where you are not just making all these different purchasing decisions and it's also better for the environment. There's less waste going through. And so it's a really, really important thing. I think for most people to think about, Hey, what are the things I utilize all the time and how can I buy the highest quality? And so the lowest quality just to save money.
0: It may even be worth paying double, like for a good pair of shoes, paying 50 or hundred percent more might make some sense if they last you 10, 20 years.
1: Exactly. Because when I first started, for example, dress shoes with my suits, when I first started buying those shoes, I would replace them every two years, especially when I was in the corporate world. Then I bought a nice high quality pair of shoes. And I've had those shoes for over 10 years and they haven't gone out of style because those dress shoes don't go out of style. And when they start to wear down in the soles, I just replace the sole. So that is one thing I love using that example because it is really something if you take care of it, if you have the right stuff in there, you put the shoe tree inside of that shoe, you have all the right polishes and you polish it at the right time and you take care of your stuff over the long run, you'll save money in terms and you'll have a higher quality item.
0: We are talking to Andrew Giancola who created mastermoney.co for one reason to teach as many people as possible how to build wealth. And we are talking about bad money hacks. Are we wasting our time and energy? We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. USA.com. That's landroverusa.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. We are back with Andrew Jincola. He is the host and creator of the Personal Finance Podcast. And our topic today is one he recently covered on his show, Bad Money Hacks. Are we wasting our time and energy? We've been counting down 11 bad money hacks. And right now we are on number eight. And I think it's something we've all done at one point or another. I remember when my wife and I did this, we cut our cable in order to get a few streaming services. Now, this was a number of years ago, and there just weren't that many streaming services available, so it made some economic sense. You say now that doesn't make as much sense as it did.
1: It doesn't make as much sense as it did. So early on, it really did make where you would save money. I went back. I remember the first time I did this was like 2013 or 2014, and I would cut my cable bill, which was like $160. And all of a sudden, I had this thing called Sling TV. And Sling TV, I think, is still around, but it was this thing service where it would stream through the internet like we all have now and it was like 60 bucks per month. So I was saving myself over a hundred dollars per month, $1,200 per year. And that was something where I was willing to do that. But now there are so many different streaming services. And a lot of times cutting the cable bill means that you're spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on streaming services. In fact, Jordan, I just did this recently where I did a subscription audit and I'm actually embarrassed to say I had, I cut back about $300 worth of subscriptions really? that I just had. Wow. that's that a lot. Yeah. It's, a, it's a ton. Yeah. And so when I did this, I went through there and, and it cut all these... He's back. And you could think about that. It's like $3,600 per year that that I cut back on just those subscription services. So I went through and I encourage everybody to do this. If you have a bunch of subscriptions, do an audit every three months or every six months and look through and say, hey, which of these have I actually used over the course of the last month? And if I haven't used it in a month, I just need to cut it out and I can always get it back if I miss it, but just cut it out of your, your life so you don't have to be paying those automatic subscriptions every single month. So this is something where you could think about. You have Disney, you have Hulu, you have Netflix, you have Paramount Plus, and the The list just goes on and on and on. So if you cut your cable, you're going to have some other cable service, maybe like YouTube TV, if you want it, or you're going to have all these other subscription services on top. And it ends up being something that's more costly than just having that cable service. So in a sense,
0: doing multiple streaming channels is a DIY cable, which brings us to number nine, which is DIY in general. I know I've done this, right? We started on a DIY project. We spent all sorts of money for the materials. We got about halfway in and realized we were totally over our head and had to eventually hire someone. Yet, I think DIY can be really good too. How do you know the difference between a good DIY project and one that's wasting your time and money?
1: So if it is something that you are very confident that you can complete, I think DIY is great because there's people out there that love renovating their house. They love doing DIY projects. I am not a person who is good at that whatsoever. I'm about the least handy person in the entire world. And so for me, it is not a a good situation. In fact, here's a great example. When we first bought our first house, I thought, you know, I I could figure out how to do any of this stuff. And so we had a water heater go and I thought, I'm going to install my own water heater, which (laughs) is not a great place to start. So I went there, I bought the water heater from Home Depot, I brought it home and I started to install this thing. First of all, this took me three full days to even figure out how to install it. And then once I finally got it installed and and turned the water back on, it flooded my entire garage. So eventually I then had to go ahead and call out the plumber. The plumber came out and put it in for 300 bucks for me. And I could have saved all that time, energy and headache just by doing that. So if you're confident in being able to do some of this stuff, then more power to you, go ahead and do it. But for most people, you're gonna waste more time and you're gonna waste more money by doing it yourself, if you don't understand how it works. Now, there's some simple things out there. Maybe you can, you know, put in a new kitchen faucet or you can put in something simple like that. But if it's not something that's easy or if you're not even comfortable doing something that simple, then just hire it out and save your time and energy and money,
0: yeah. I, I have a general rule of thumb. I kind of double the expected cost and the expected energy, and if it's still worth doing it, then I'll try.
1: Exactly. Right?
0: So I, I'll go ahead and estimate out how much I think it's cost and how much money. And then I just double
1: that. And I'm like, is it still worth it? And if it is, I'll
0: go ahead and try it.
1: And something sometimes I still have not learned this lesson. For example, <laughs> there was a complicated sink that we have in one of our bathrooms. And I went back there. I was like, oh, I could fix this. It was just leaking a little bit. So I went back there and tried to fix it and, and change all the piping and stuff like that. Turn the water back on. Boom. flooded my bathroom. So it's just something that I do not have to. There's certain things, plumbing, electrical work, all that kind of stuff. I do not touch anymore.
0: So number 10 of the bad money hacks is skipping routine medical and dental care. You know, two thoughts come to mind on this. One is some things are worth the money, right? Sometimes it's worth it not to save money. But the other thing is down the road, if you don't do these things, it may cost you more. Similar to the whole kind of oil and maintenance of your car. Do people really skip out on routine medical and dental care because they're worried about spending money or is it more something else?
1: I think it could be more something else. A, you just don't feel like showing up. For example, I have a lot of friends who are maybe in their 20s or their 30s, and they don't go to their routine medical checkups because they feel like, hey, I'm healthy. Every time I go, the doctor just said, hey, you look good. This is, this is fantastic. But it also can cost you more money down the line because if you don't catch certain things, you could be spending a lot more money on healthcare. You need to be doing blood work, all those different things, as Jordan, you know. More, more than anybody. And so it's really, really important to be able to do this stuff. But in addition, dental checkups are also a huge one in dental cleanings. So if you're skipping some of this stuff, you know, your mouth is the gateway to a lot of different health things as well. So making sure that you are just taking care of yourself. But in addition, having these regular checkups so that you can catch anything that are out there is gonna be really, really important for a lot of people. Saves you more money down the line, especially if you catch it early.
0: Any thoughts about kind of some hacks around health insurance? Because it's something that we all struggle with we worry about co-pays, we worry about deductibles, any way we can look at the cost of healthcare and maybe either save some money or prevent ourselves from doing harm by not spending appropriate money?
1: Sure, so my favorite way to approach healthcare for me specifically is, I actually like high deductible health plans, even though not everybody likes that. But the reason why I like that is because I can put money into an HSA. And I think an HSA is actually a wealth building vehicle for a lot of people. And so the way I approach it is I kind of look at those premiums and I say, hey, which one actually fits my lifestyle where I think I have enough cash in play in order to be able to cover that for the entire year, no matter what happens there. So I have that money set aside and the rest of it goes into my health savings account, which has those triple tax benefits. So money goes in tax free. You can invest that money. it can grow tax free and you can pull the money out tax free with a qualified medical expense. But the beautiful thing about this is the IRS has no rules or guidelines on how long that time frame has to be when you can pull that money out for that qualified medical expense. So you could have had some sort of surgery when you were in your early twenties and you could pull that same amount out when you're in your 60s, when you're retired. So there's a lot of cool things that you can do with an HSA. And this is kind of how I approach it at this point in time. Now, I switch from a high deductible health plan in specific years that I know I'm going to have higher medical bills. So say, for example, we know we're going to have a baby at some point in time. And if we have a baby in that specific year, I'll switch off the high high deductible health plan and go down to just a traditional health plan, because I think that is really, really important as well. And so you just got to do the math on your specific situation and where, where you stand at this point in time in this. Season of your life.
0: Yeah, the HSA really is one of the major healthcare hacks, and people don't realize they worry about saving receipts and everything because at some point they're going to want to cash in for that HSA money. But the truth of the matter is, if you hold it to, you're older, most likely you're going to be able to use it for some type of healthcare because our healthcare costs go up so much as we enter our sixties, seventies, and eighties. So let's round it out. We were talking about the 11 bad money hacks. That was number 10. Number 11, we're not going to go into because it talks about fast fashion, which we briefly mentioned. And again, it gets this idea of cost versus quality. Let's flip the script a little bit. We've been talking about the 11 bad money hacks. What are some of your favorite good money hacks? Like, How do we do this better? When does it make sense to be a little more intentional about the way we spend money?
1: I think there's a bunch of different ways. One of my favorite ones, and a lot of people are aware of this, is travel hacking. So travel hacking is one of my favorite ways to travel. And it is something where my wife and I have traveled internationally multiple times to Greece, to Italy, and a bunch of different other places completely for free. And so I think this is one where if you have a history with bad spending with credit cards, this may not be for you. And most likely, I would not recommend you do this. But if you are good with money, and you are good at paying off your credit cards every single month, travel hacking is by far one of my favorite hacks. Because if you you value vacations, if you value going on trips and seeing the world and having those experiences, this is one of the best things that you can do. And the way that you do this is you put all of your bills on a specific credit card. You get that sign up bonus for that credit card. A lot of times it's spending, you know, $4,000 in three months and you get a 50,000 point bonus. And so when you get that, you can utilize those points for free travel and travel reimbursements actually have a higher price per point reimbursement than a lot of other benefits like cashback and things like that. So this is one of my favorite ways to actually travel. And a lot of times to travel for free is utilizing travel hacking. I think it's one of the best ways to kind of save money because you can save thousands and thousands of dollars if you do it right.
0: Travel hacking is interesting. And I've seen people take it to the extreme, right, where they have 20 credit cards and they have to have spreadsheets and they have to make sure they're paying them off at the appropriate rates and they have to make sure they're carrying a certain balance, blah, blah, blah. And to me, then it starts to sound like extreme couponing and going to the bunch of the different grocery stores. So I guess the crux of the question, what really I want, why I really wanted to have this total conversation is there is a value to our energy and our time, and there's also a value to saving money. So the question is for each individual who's looking at what we call these bad money hacks and then considering what we would call good money hacks is. How do you decide what the break point is when it's worth your energy or time versus not? Because I think that's what really all of us come to or which of these hacks make sense for us and which don't.
1: So this is one of the most important questions overall, because what you have to look at, and this is for everything when it comes to your money, is what do you actually value in life? And Jordan's book does a great job at actually kind of helping people figure this out when you go through this, but what do you actually value in life? For me, what I specifically value is spending my time the way that I want to spend it. And so when you think about this, things that are going to take too much time, if it's going to take me an entire day, for example, to, to save $15 by jumping from store to store to store, I'm not going to do do that But if I can just put all my bills on a specific credit card and I can utilize that credit card and utilize those points in order to actually save tons and tons of money on travel, I am absolutely going to do that. So you got to figure out, hey, what do I actually value? Spend more time, spend more energy on the things that you actually value and spend less time and energy on the things that you do not value. So that is one of the most important things that you can do. This goes with your time, your energy, your money, and focusing your time on your health. All those different things are really, really important. And this is how I I break it down in my life every single day.
0: Does it make sense for us to get granular enough to have a dollar value? Like if I can save $15, then it's worth my hour. But if it's anything less than 15, it's not worth it. I mean, does it make sense to get that granular when it comes to whether these are good or bad money hacks for you?
1: I think in a lot of a lot of situations, it can. So you can think about, like I said earlier, your earning wage or how much you earn every single hour. So how much do I earn every hour? Is this trade-off worth it? That's kind of how I make these decisions. Here's a great example of this, is when I first got a lawn care company to kind of take care of my lawn. I was really, really hesitant to do this. I was doing my own lawn and I'm really, really frugal. So I didn't want to spend the money on the lawn care company, but then I broke it down in price per hour and how many hours it was taking me. It was taking me about five hours per week to actually maintain my lawn, pull the weeds, trim the hedges, all these different things. And I realized very, very quickly, this was significantly less, you know, price per hour than for me to just hire somebody else to come and do this. And they do it, you know, ironically in an hour and they get it all done for me. So for me, it actually made sense to do that. So I kind of run that number through a lot of different things and I don't go with it every single time, but that's a really quick and easy way to kind of think about this.
0: It also hits me that the best money hacks are the ones you enjoy doing. So I'm thinking of, for instance, my son likes to drive my electric car. One of the reasons he likes to drive my electric car is because he goes into the charging station where we can get free charging. And he likes to sit and listen to music and hang out. And it's just kind of fun for him. So not only is he saving money, he's having fun. Is it worth the $10 or $15 he saves by sitting there for an hour? I guess it depends who you are and and what you believe in. But for him, it pairs something he likes to do with actually saving money. And I think credit card hacking for a lot of people is like that, too.
1: I completely agree because it's what they actually value and what they're actually enjoying spending their time doing. And a lot of times even you can take the credit card hacking, for example, when you're doing this, you're kind of dreaming about your trip. You're playing out, hey, how can I use these points as a puzzle in order to take that dream trip and not have to spend any money doing it? So there's people that really, really enjoy that process. And some people enjoy it, like you said, to the extreme. I've seen people open up, you know, 20 cards an entire year just to maximize these points and figure out exactly how to get that free trip. But this is one thing where I'm simple with it. I just have, you know, all my bills on one specific card. I get that bonus. I take those points. I use it for a trip. But some people can go really, really crazy with it for sure.
0: Well, Andrew, I want to thank you for being on the show today. As I think about our conversation, I really realize that it's almost artificial to call something either a good or a bad money hack. Well, I I guess it's a bad money hack if you make zero money doing it, right? But otherwise, if you do save some money doing one of these hacks, what you really have to do is look at the value that you save, the amount of money you saved, and compare that to the value of your energy and your time. And at the end of the day, if the value of your energy and time are more than the money that you save from this hack, then it's probably not a good idea, where vice versa is also true that if you end up saving a lot of money and it doesn't take that much energy or time, then it's very worthwhile. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where people can find you. So tell us about what's happening with the Personal Finance Podcast and MasterMoney.co.
1: Sure. So the Personal Finance Podcast, we we put out two episodes every single week. And so our goal is to bring you as much value as possible when it comes to money and teach you about money. And so for the next year, we'll still be doing that. We'll bring you on guests. Jordan just came on the podcast. If you want to check out that episode as well, did a fantastic job. So this is one where our goal is to just continue to bring more value to people out there and teach them how to build wealth.
0: And what is the easiest way to connect to you if people have specific questions?
1: The easiest way to connect to us is by sending me an email. So you can send me an email, at mastermoney.co. And we also write a newsletter from that email as well, which our promise to you is to make you better with your money in five minutes every single week. Andrew Jincola, thank you so much for being on the Earn and Invest podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing.
0: That's a wrap. Earn and invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I love this idea that Andrew and I talked about when considering bad money hacks. This idea that... There is a value to our time, and that whenever we're doing something that's going to save us some money, whenever we're engaged in a money hack, we have to ask ourselves, how much are we saving? And is it worth the amount of time it takes to accomplish this task? And so if you're setting out to DIY something, or if you're going to wait extra long to purchase something, or if you're going to go to multiple different grocery stores, how long will that take you? monetize that, figure out how much money you would pay yourself per hour to do this activity, and then compare that to what an hour of work generally pays you. How close are those things? Is this a good use of your time or not? The reason why this is important is because not all money hacks work for all people. And in fact, where you are economically today may help define whether a money hack is a good use of your time or not. If you are a high-income earner, it's not going to make a lot of sense for you to do some of these money-saving hacks that really don't make that much money for you. So some of the couponing, the going to different gas stations because it's cheaper the going from different grocery store to different grocery store to different grocery store, when you're making six figures, for instance, it doesn't really make sense for you to do these things. But let's say you're making twenty dollars or $30,000 a year, and you can save $100 by working hard all day. It might make sense for you to do that. But let's take this a step further. So what happens when you become financially independent? When you become financially independent, let's say you have a net worth that's high enough that the income from that net worth, in other words, whether you're liquidating assets or collecting dividends or what have you, however you're getting income from that money and you're using it to support yourself, let's say that you have enough that you don't need to make more, then how do we look at these money hacks? If money no longer matters, how then do we measure whether we should spend our precious time doing something to save a little money or not? Of course, this is only a small percentage of people, right? Most people aren't financially independent, but I'd like to do this thought experiment because then you get to really get granular about what you really want to do. So if you're financially independent, hopefully you're only doing these money hacks that you enjoy, right? So if you enjoy couponing, it's a good use of your time. You like the process of doing it as well as the result of saving a little money, then that's something you're going to do. If you enjoy travel hacking and messing around with credit cards and enjoy what that gets for you, it helps you upgrade to a first-class flight or it allows you to take more vacations. If there's true joy in this and it adds real value to your life above and beyond the specific dollars and cents, then it's worth doing that. So while well, I think it's a great framework for you to start looking at How much you make doing these money hacks and how that compares to an hourly wage you'd pay yourself. Even if you're not at financial independence, I want you to occasionally pretend you are and still ask yourself that question Is this a good use of your time? Because the truth of the matter is, money comes and goes. And I know it's a very privileged thing to say, but it's true. Money will come in and out of your life. But you know what goes, and once it's gone, it never comes back? Time. You can never get that time back. And so, regardless of whether you're financially independent or not, we should be really circumspect about how we use our time. What activities are we engaged in as time passes? Because that is one of those golden rules. It's one of those things we actually have a modicum of control over. Now, of course, Sometimes you have little choice. You have to spend your time doing things you don't like doing because that money is necessary to fund your life. But when we're generally talking about money hacks, we're talking about the extras. So this is a great time to look at those extras. Look how you're spending your time. What activities are you filling that time with? And when it comes to saving money, are these activities adding value in your life or not? I'm not saying you have to stop doing them. Economic reality is economic reality. But I think the first key to getting good with your money, the first key maybe to using money as a tool for what it should do, which is helping you do those things you want in life. The first step to take is to be really clear about how you're spending your time and how that money is helping you either do or not do the things you want during those precious moments, those precious parcels of time that we have zero control over. So I guess what I'd say is let's make sure we're really, really wise about what activities are filling our days. All right, I continue things running just to catch our after show. It's kind of whatever we talk about afterwards, but I leave the recording going. Anything we didn't talk about, either about that episode or just you and your platform, anything we left out?
1: I think, you know, this was this was an amazing episode, and I think kind of going through some of this stuff is really, really important. And like like you said, the reverse side of it is those million-dollar money decisions, which for... For us, a lot of times we're talking about mortgage interest and just that adjustment of you know a one percent interest rate can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course you know of your entire life. Or adjusting and looking at your asset allocation, just a one percent rate of return differential is going to be hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars. Or just looking at something like your investment fees is a huge money, million dollar money decision. We've kind of run through the numbers on this. And if you are say maxing out your four hundred one k in your IRA, but you have a one percent fee instead of you know a standard Vanguard fee or something along those lines. That's going to cost you millions and millions of dollars over the course of your career if you factor in that opportunity cost. So focusing on cutting coupons is kind of the thing that I'm trying to avoid. And focusing on those million dollar money decisions is a thing I'm trying to be laser focused on when it comes to my money.
0: I also think one of the mistakes we make is we realize that as the seasons of our lives change How we pay attention to these money hacks should change. So you have people who were couponing when they were young and poor, and that extra money meant a lot to them. And now they're millionaires, but they're so in the habit of doing it, they don't realize how much of a waste of their energy and time it is today compared to what it was when they were 20 or 21 or 22. So people seem to outgrow these hacks, but their mindset hasn't yet changed. And so you see these very wealthy people doing things that almost seem a little absurd, and they they don't realize it.
1: I completely agree, and I think the season of your life really does matter for this stuff because if it's a huge, huge impact on your life to save that $10, $15, $20, then definitely more power to you spend the time, the energy, in doing that. But as you start to progress, I have a friend and a mentor who is a billionaire and still repairs things inside of his house. So <laughs> yeah. it's one of those things where it, it sticks with a lot of people, and if you enjoy doing it, hey, go go do it as much as you want. But at the same time, I see so many examples like that where i just rather spend my time and energy with my family or doing more things that I like to do.
0: Yeah. And again, it it goes to the point of if you're fixing things around the house because you love doing that, because you're like, that's your mind and you love breaking them down and putting them back together. That's one thing. But for a lot of people, it's this kind of strange fear habit that we develop early on and that we continue doing.
1: Exactly. It's it's I'm I'm so willing specifically to spend more money on convenience. So I'm willing to do that. And so I'm not willing to spend my time on things that are not convenient also. And this is just one of the things that I really, really value specifically for me is spending those dollars on convenience. And this changed over time because early on, I was not willing to do that. Once I had kids and all my time was kind of taken away, now I'm much more willing to do it. And that's just an example of a season.
0: Yeah, I, I like that, for especially for people who are very mathematical oriented or spreadsheet-oriented. sheet I like that idea of actually calculating the value of your time. I mean, Vicki Robbins did it right in Your Money sure. Your Life. That was a big part of that book. But, but using it the other way around is like: does it make sense for me to spend my time doing this, even if I do save some money? I like that idea of knowing kind of what you feel like the realistic value of your time is, because it really helps put these things in a lot of perspective.
1: For sure, and there are even things that. Or higher dollar amounts that, you know, I'm just not willing to do. We have a lot of people who ask us, hey, let's do some coaching or some one on one calls. I really don't want to do those. And so a lot of times they're willing to pay a lot more money, but does it bring me energy or does it take energy away from me? It usually takes energy away from me. And so a lot of times I'm not willing to do those as much as some other things that, you know, would have a wider reach.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, coaching sounds great until you realize how unscalable it is. Exactly, right? So and 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 like you said, is it, it takes a lot of energy to coach someone. Very different type of energy than creating a podcast or even writing a book. It's a it's a much kind of deeper, more intense time you're spending with that person
1: for sure. And there's, there's pressure to bring them results and you got to make sure that you're doing everything right. So there's just things like that, that really, even if they are higher dollar amounts, I'm, I'm not always willing to do that because I want to preserve my energy as much as possible.
0: So tell me about goal setting. So you've got this big brand, your podcast is incredibly successful. Tell me what goals look like to you now. You're you're financially in a very stable place, I think, right? I don't know the ins and outs yep. of your finances, but it sounds like you're in a financially stable place. What does goal setting look like for you and your business right now?
1: So specifically for it is to, to kind of grow the show is one, one big thing. We want to kind of spread this message as much as possible. And growing a podcast, as you know, Jordan, it's really, really hard to do. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out, you know, what are some things that we can do in order to kind of extend that out? So that's one big one is to try to grow the show, maybe another 20% in the next year or so. Another big goal for us is to to launch some different programs that we have or we're going to be launching like our automation program for example I love talking about money automation because it's allowed me to kind of have all my time back and so I don't have to think about my money I don't have to lift a finger it just goes to the places that I want it to go so that's another big thing that we're going to be talking about a lot next year is money automation and you know exactly how I do it because I think the the specific way I do it is going to allow you to you know you can pay down your mortgage faster you can invest your money you can save your money in specific buckets in a specific way so there's so many different cool things that you can do without having to lift a finger and it takes your willpower out of the equation. So I love that piece of it. And then in addition, you know, we have YouTube channels, newsletters, all those things. So for us, the big thing is just to grow over time. Now, my big problem is to keep the main thing, the main thing where we kind of, we buy other businesses. And, and that's just kind of like a, the shiny object theory that I have all the time. We just bought a pickleball business, for example. And so making sure that I kind of maintain that focus is the really, really important thing for me.
0: Yeah. And doing the things that you enjoy because being an entrepreneur and buying businesses can be a lot of fun. I mean, that can be like really exciting and it can, it can feel very purposeful and intense above and beyond just making money and those kind of things. So I could see exactly. that being an issue though. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So if you do what I found is there's, there's been some in the past where I've purchased and I just don't love it as much as I thought I would. And then, but some of them I absolutely love. So just kind of making sure that, you know, you select the right ones is really, really important.